0: All right. Good morning, church. Uh, that's a little little shameless plug right there. Uh, if you've got your uh, your pencils, throw them out. Get a pen. Write down June 6th to June 10th. That is Vacation Bible School. Put it on your calendar. Uh, it is absolutely 100% worth it. Um, I want you to take a, take a little ride down memory lane here for a second. Uh, we, this morning, had the opportunity for nine families to come up here. And believe it or not, that was only about half of the little ones we've had that have become members or you know future members of our church this year we've got a few where some parents are working today and they couldn't make it we've got a couple that have caught in the flu bug Um, but it's just incredible to have just this right here and knowing what our next generation here at First Baptist Linda looks like so um, if we can just sing it out and just give some praise to God for what he's doing here at our church yeah The, when I came on staff a little, a little under four years ago at this point, I told Eric in our interview, I said I am terrified of babies. Now I've gotten to the point where uh, they throw them through the door at the nursery, and I just catch them and have to go with it. Um, I mean, beautiful catches like this one arm's like professional level. It's great, but no, like they are absolute. They are their joys. Uh, they are our next generation here at the church and that's why we're here today. We, we made this commitment, we made this decision to, as a body of believers, to invest in their lives. And so with the that right to memory land, I kinda wanna recap from last year. I passed out uh, to our families jars of pennies, and they signified the number of weeks that they had from when they were uh, born to 18 years old, and how we can pick up a singular penny, we can find it in our couch, and it means absolutely nothing. But when it all starts totaling it up, it means a lot. Well, um, I figured, we have a lot of kids, and pennies are, uh, they, they add up too. Uh, I, I would end up going broke, and you know, gas prices, everything else. I figured, I went and got the, the Grocery Getter 9000 right here. And uh, th- this is my, my new daily driver, I think. And it's, it, it brings back a lot of good memories. Uh, by a show of hands, how many of you can ride a bike? All right, by the same hands, how many of you have fallen off said bike when learning to ride the bike? Now, we know that when we started off learning to ride our bicycles, it wasn't always easy. Uh, and it, it kind of points us to the verse that, we, uh, that I kind of impart on our kids. That's our, it's our like, theme verse for Treehouse Kids as a whole, all of our kids' ministry from, from birth through fifth grade. And that comes from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And it says, start a youth out on his way, and even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. So as we go into uh, today's message, know that. Know that as we are setting forth a path for our kids, this is so that when they grow older, they won't drift away. They will not depart. That They will keep God's word with them through the entirety of it. Now there are other things in lives, like life lessons, like you know, how to cook grandma's secret recipe for mac and cheese. We want that to go with them all the way. We want them to know how to, to save their money, We want them to learn a ton of things, but the biggest thing, the most important thing we can instill in our kids' lives is how important it is to have God with us by our sides their entire time. So outside of, you know, maybe the day the baby is born or they start to crawl, they say their first words, they finally say, go dogs, Uh, they graduate kindergarten, they leave, they go through high school. There are so many memorable moments but one that kind of stuck out to me when I was growing up was learning to ride a bike. I remember when I turned three years old, which is tough. I mean, that was a while ago, and had that bright red tricycle, you know, the similar to the one that every other three-year-old has, and, you know, they ride around the house, and they crash into kitchen chairs, and that's, like, baby's first bike. And then now I know that they've, they've gotten so fancy that they have bikes that don't even have pedals on it that kids stand and they, like, walk around on, like, That would have been game changer in trying to learn how to ride a bike when I was younger. But the next step up from the tricycle is you get those training wheels. Man, that huffy with the the lime green monster on the side of it. You put the baseball card in the spoke, and you've got the real deal motorcycle. But man, to get those training wheels off of that bicycle, that was the goal. Like you, you were officially a big kid when you have taken those training wheels off. And so you start thinking about maybe those home videos or the movies, the iconic one where, you know, mom and dad are sitting there and they're in the, the cul-de-sac and they finally remove those training wheels and it's the, the perfect like 1980s like in movie, scroll the credits music and they're just driving down the cul-de-sac clean as can be. They never prepared you for the, the stump on the ground or the neighbor's Buick sitting outside. Like those things were never in the video. Um, but kids didn't naturally learn how to ride a bike, let alone how to walk. They come out knowing nothing. So they have to develop these skills. So we develop them by putting them on a tricycle. They develop by putting them with the training wheels, taking them off, and believe it or not, before too long, they're riding around, they're doing circles, having a grand old time. Occasionally they'll fall and you have to put some Band-Aids on. But they have developed how to ride a bike. You would say they've mastered it but what's the one, there are several things that they haven't fully come to know. Maybe how to ride your bike in the rain. Maybe the chain pops off, tire goes flat, the handlebar turns sideways. There's so many things they haven't experienced. And we as parents, a lot of times we like to sit there and we, we kinda, we hold the hand of our child because we love them so much and maybe we see the tires going flat and before they ever ask us, we inflate the tire. We see that chain's coming loose, we put a little bit of grease on it, we tighten it back up, we fix the seat, we replace the baseball card, we add the horn. We do all these things because we see it and we love our kids, but then are we also taking away that opportunity for them to experience that themselves? So I'm gonna use that to kinda of lead us into to where I'm gonna kinda of focus today. We're looking in the book of First Samuel And to kind of give you some context, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we have husband and wife. We have Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, and she has prayed for a son. And she said, Lord, I'm your servant. Let me have a child. And so with that, uh, the Lord blesses her with a son, and she goes to take him, and she says, after he's weaned off, I'm going to take him to appear in front of the Lord's presence, and they're going to stay there permanently. We get into chapter 2 we meet a guy named Eli he's a priest of this place called Shiloh and Eli has got some pretty rotten kids okay um, I won't do a show of hands if you have rotten kids because I don't want you to feel judged but I know they exist I was one of them now we get to chapter 3 and we've, we've met Hannah we've met her son Samuel and we've met Eli and Samuel is now living full-time with Eli Effectively living and serving the church. So we get into Samuel 1, chapter 3. We know that there, there's Samuel, it's this boy who served the Lord in Eli's presence. And in those days, the word of the Lord was very rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. All right, Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple where the ark of God was located. And then the Lord called out to Samuel. So we've met, we've met character one and Samuel. We've met Eli. They're in this temple together, and someone calls out Samuel. Well, Samuel, being the, the good servant working in this temple here, gets up, runs to Eli, and he goes, here I am. You called me. Eli says, I didn't. Go lay back down. So Samuel goes, and he lays back down. Once again, the Lord calls out to Samuel and says, Samuel, so Samuel got up and ran into Eli and says, you called me, what's up? Eli says, I didn't. He says, I didn't call my son. Go back and lie down. And we get to verse 7 and it says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel has grown up in this church, in this temple, in this place where he has literally been given his entire life where he is to serve the Lord. And he has not had an opportunity to experience God. We love our kids. I can see it in your smiles. I can see it in your eyes. We hold them close. We give them everything. But sometimes, in our time of love, we hold on too long. When learning to ride a bike, you push your kid around and you help them get that balance till they feel confident. And you keep on holding the bike and you keep on holding the bike all the way till you have to use that whole bottle of aspirin because your back is hurting from pushing them around all day. But the relief you get when you finally can just let go. Hannah had to make that decision early. She let go and let Samuel go and stay with Eli. Eli right here between verses seven and verse eight, has this moment where he has to let go. He has been responsible and charge for raising Eli his entire life, and he now realizes that if he continues to hold Eli back, or he hold, if Eli continues to hold Samuel back, he will never have the opportunity to experience God. So he let him go. So for the third time in verse eight, it says right here, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, he went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me, and Eli understood at that exact moment what was happening. He understood that the Lord was calling him. Samuel had not had that first personal encounter with the Lord to really know for himself. Even after multiple times of running in thinking Eli was calling him, Eli understood this was his chance to let go. After investing and pouring into Samuel's life, he said, this was my moment that I get to let go. Eli had already had an experience in the discernment. He could tell, and we saw there in verse 8, he tells him then to proceed. He says, go lay down. This is Eli giving Samuel instructions. He says, go lay down. And the next time he calls on you, don't come running into me. I'm not calling you. I want you to say, your servant hears you. All right, speak, Lord. Eli let go of the bike. He made room for Samuel to have his own personal encounter. And we see that from verses 7 to verse 19. We know that Samuel was going to continue to grow and that the Lord was going to continue to use him. Just like with riding a bike, our kids are going to be ready developmentally. They can pedal, they can keep their balance, they can steer. But they may not be ready for that dark green Buick Sabre bumper that's sitting in front of your driveway. They may not be ready for the curb that happens. But it took me running into Mr. Bob, our shiny bald-headed neighbor's car, for me to understand exactly how to drive my bike. It took having to replace my own chain for me to fully understand. I had to have those experiences. And so as parents with little ones, it's tough. I get it. I'm not in your spot right now. I hope to be soon. But letting go is tough. But then we get the second part of that iconic movie scene where they let go and the kid's driving down the cul-de-sac and you're sitting there smiling as can be and like I said, it's perfect. But that is where we get to step in as a church, as parents, as family. We get to run beside. Eli has raised Samuel up and now has the opportunity to run beside him. We know that there are going to be wobbly rides. We know there are going to be moments that we fall off, that we need to get Band-Aids. It would have been significantly better on my childhood, I imagine, if that 20-second lifetime of me sitting on the ground with a skint-up knee when I fell after hitting that Buick, if my grandfather had run beside me and picked me up instantly, there would have been no pain whatsoever. I can just already imagine. But hitting that ground with him not running beside me, with knowing that there was a, a distance that he had to make up, When we feel like our kids come to know the Lord, maybe they do it at VBS, they do it at camp, maybe it's when they're a teenager. A lot of times, we get this sense of relief, like a pressure has been lifted off of our chest, and our kids get it, our kids know Jesus, fly, continue to learn, where this is our opportunity to really keep them close, to run beside them. We are going to continue to grow as believers, we as parents, we as families. We are going to continue to grow as followers of Christ if we are going alongside our kids as they're learning. Um, I love our church, and one of the, the many things about our church that uh, I thought about during Sunday school is uh, our, our geese. Singular goose is flying by itself. It's not going to get very far, but they literally fly by one another. When One of them is getting weak. Another one takes its spot and plays into this role. Um, our church is it's a series of geese. If our kids are our next generation out there, the part that's leading at the front, there's going to be moments where that first goose is going to get tired and the other geese are stepping forward. They're flying with them. And that may not be the mom and dad. It may be their Sunday school teacher. It may be a deacon. It may be an adoptive grandmother. Man, I am blessed because I have like 19 grandmas here at this church. And I know that our kids are blessed by that same opportunity because we have folks that get to run beside us. But in running beside, I don't want you just to sit there and say like, oh, I'm going along with it. I'm going to give you five practical things you can do. The first thing is easy. Just be present. As you're running beside, if I looked over and saw my grandfather right there beside me, I would have felt confident. When you're running beside someone, it doesn't matter what they're doing, if they're learning a new job, if they're learning a new task, if they're trying to ride a bike, if they're coming to know the Lord, if someone is there with you every step of the way, They're not holding your hand. They're going, they're traveling along with you. They get to see. They get to see what's impacting in your life. That's the second practical part is to perceive. There's so many wise folks that are in this church. People that have lived years longer than me that have experienced things way more than I have. And so I get to lean on them for that knowledge. We get to perceive we as already having a Christ experience in our lives, it gives us a chance to be the eyes and the mind of what is happening, figuring out why things are happening and how we need to respond. And so the first way we respond is we pray. So we're present, we perceive, we pray. This is our chance to talk to the Lord as we interpret the things that we're seeing. In John 15:5, it reads, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. It doesn't matter how hard you're running, how close you're running beside somebody, how hard you're, you're present and you're staring and you're looking at them. If we're not praying about these decisions, if we're not praying about how we can continue to serve our kids and love our community, they're not gonna grow. Which leads us to coaching. There's gonna be moments that through that prayer, the Lord's going to place on our heart there's an opportunity for us to tell them when something is wrong. I would be a liar to tell you that I have not had sin slip into my life. You have to have someone that's there that they're not just to, to reach over and grab you and fix the problem. They're to grab you, stop you where you're at, coach you, and send you back out. I think about a football coach. He doesn't sit there, pull you off the field, put the helmet on and run in and do it himself. He pulls you over, he gives you the advice you need and tells you to go back out. I was in college, hated my my chosen career path, called my grandparents, was in complete tears and I said, I wanna be able to serve others better. What can I do? I don't wanna disrespect my grandfather who had already started paying alumni fees to where I was gonna go to graduate school. That was a joke. Um, He was very upset, but then he realized, and he said that, and he goes, well, let's pray about it. About 17 minutes of absolute silence. There was not a word coming from either end of the phone, and uh, if my wife was in here, she would tell you right now that typically words don't come out when my grandfather and I are on the phone anyways because we mumble, but it was complete silence, but it was so loud. It was the loudest silence ever because I'm sitting there praying, and I know that he's on literally the opposite end of this phone call praying at the same time. And it was only interrupted when my grandmother said, well, what are some options? And I said, well, you were a teacher, and you got to impact the lives of kids. And so that was their chance to coach. They didn't say anything wrong to me. They didn't scold me. They didn't sit there and say, you wasted a year already at college. We prayed about it. They were present. They were there when, when I called, they answered. They are perceived because they know, they've lived, they've experienced. We spend that time in praying, they coached about it, and then catch and release. When the coaching works or doesn't even work, we have to know to catch and let go. Sometimes we'll coach them and we'll give them the perfect advice, we let them go, and guess what? They still are gonna fall. It's our opportunity then. We're still running beside, we're still present. We're still there watching what they're doing. We're praying, Lord, I've given them this. What's my next step? How can I continue to serve and love them? So we catch and release. If We go back into 1 Samuel chapter 3. We see here that the Lord has spoken to Samuel, and he goes, Samuel, Samuel. He says, I'm about to do something in Israel that will cause everyone who hears about it to shudder. And on that day, I'll carry out against Eli, everything I said about his family from beginning to end. So some context on that, all of chapter two, I told you that Eli had some pretty rotten kids. And because of that, because of how Eli responded to his community, uh, curses were basically placed upon Eli. And with that, he says that I have sworn to Eli's family the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. So Samuel I want you to go and lay down until the morning. So he did. He opened the door to the Lord's house, and he was afraid to go and tell Eli, his teacher, his effective parent at this point. That's the one thing that I hope our kids don't ever have, is that when the Lord speaks to them, they're not afraid to come and tell us. And even when they do, when that fear might set in, we have to be strong like Eli. This next verse right here. Eli called and said, Samuel, my son, here I am. What was the message that God gave you? We have to be ready that when our kids, after we let go, have that personal experience with God, after we've run beside them the entire way, we have to be ready to see what the Lord does and how they respond. So part of that running beside, we have to ask them, what did God say? You tell me. We don't probe them with, did God tell you to become a Christian? We don't probe them with, give them those open-ended questions and let them share. Because that's how we're going to continue to get the wisdom and the knowledge. We continue to love others. Eli says, don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything. He didn't hide a thing. And Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. Samuel grew. Eli has raised up Samuel. He has let go. He has run beside. he's recognized that the Lord is working in Samuel's life. And through that, Samuel grew. Man, if we could sit Here and just even go a few years from now and say that even one of these babies here on stage the lord has spoken to them and we can say not only have they grown physically but they have grown spiritually because the lord is in their life golly the power behind that so samuel told him everything he said that he is the lord let him do what he thinks samuel grew the lord was with samuel he was fulfilled He had fulfilled everything that Samuel had prophesied. All of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord and the Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. After you let go, after you run beside and you know that our kid, your child, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's another family member. All of this can be related to literally anything more than just kids. When you are, are tracking with somebody and you have let go and let God do his work in their life, as you are running beside, as you are being there, you are seeing, you are praying for them, and you see that the Lord has done his work, now comes the best part. We get to serve with them. we get to we get to do as what we are saying in Joel one three that our children get to tell their children and their children tell their children, and theirs till the next generation. in mark sixteen fifteen it says then he said to them, "Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Our new goal is not for us just to to let go. It's not just for us to beside, but it's for us to serve with. That's what we want. Eli gets to see that. Even in his, his state of going blind, he gets to see that through the fact that everything that Samuel prophesied happened. That the word of the Lord, which once was rare, which once was not heard across Israel, was literally professed to the entire country and spread from there. If I knew today that even through my life, of, through the sin that's been in my life and the troubles that I've had, if I could tell you that I would be an Eli and that there would be a Samuel that would leave from me that would go and continue to share the word, I would not have any regret. Do I want to be that Samuel? Absolutely. But you right now get to be both. You get to be the Eli. You get to invest in someone else. But you also are someone Samuel. So I want you to think about someone who is let go for you, that ran beside you. Maybe call them up and tell them thank you. Maybe pray with them. Let them know how much of an impact they were. Because when you recognize that, you also then have the opportunity to understand in yourself, in your own heart, in your own life, how you get to let go, how you get to run beside, and how you'll ultimately be able to serve with. As we said in Proverbs 22, 6, We want to start our youth out on his way, and even when he grows old, he will not depart from it.